Join me, Harriet Gould, for the Lab Matters podcast to hear fascinating stories every week from the inspiring people behind the science. In this episode, I'm joined by scientist turned lawyer, Joe Lentil. Join me to find out why Joe is passionate about protecting scientific creativity. Hello, Joe. Hi. Um, so we've today we've got Joe Lenthal with us. Now, um, Joe studied chemistry and biochemistry at university and then got a PhD in supramolecular chemistry. Um, so, so we could all be forgiven for thinking that Joe might have a research type job in the lab. Um, but in fact, Joe is an IP lawyer and he joins us from law firm HLK. Um, now, now, it's been quite a journey of discovery for you, hasn't it? Um, and I want to hear all about the role intellectual property plays in innovation. But before we get on to that, I'd like to go back to your scientific origins. Um, is it is it right that you initially wanted to be a doctor? That's right, Harriet. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of started off liking to solve problems and wanting to help people. So I kind of thought that medical doctor was the way forward and started to kind of go down that career route. Um, but some might say luckily quite early on I realized that definitely the sights and smells of of being a medical doctor and, and all that associated wasn't for me you know I, I remember seeing someone just cut their finger and, and feeling very very faint I think even just pictures of of sort of surgery made me feel extremely queasy so yeah I, I avoided that um that route and um but you know had that sort of strong feeling of of kind of problem solving so I was quite good at maths at school um, and so kind of pursued more, I guess, uh, lab-based pursuits, scientific pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so was it, um, and that was, it, was that at school or had you, you hadn't gone to university yet because you went to Durham, is that right? That's right, yeah. So, um, y- you know, as is quite common with most people, I had, I had a very good chemistry teacher and a very good biology teacher at school. Um, and that kind of formed my opinion as to how to, you know, what to do for university. So I was up at Durham and, um, yeah, enjoyed kind of a quite a broad, I guess, um, research career in, in, in that time, doing sort of various projects. Um, some of it was looking at, you know, how polymers interact Others were looking at how, um, you know, the blood cells of Soviet workers carrying um, nuclear weapons were affected, looking at it at the genetic level. And it's not really a spoiler alert, but it's pretty bad for your cells being exposed to to, to radiation and really looking at kind of how um, the chromosomes kind of broke and reformed in, in very bad ways. Um, so that really interested me. Um, and I did, after a short break, I did go and do a PhD. So in many respects, I did get to become a doctor, just a different type of doctor. Um, and anyone listening, I certainly wouldn't recommend doing a PhD just for the title. It's um, three long years of, of banging your head against the wall from my experience. But um, no, it was really good. And I, I really enjoyed my research. But I think one of the things that I found was I liked the breadth of, of scientific knowledge um, during that during that time. And, you know, I wrote a I wrote a review article with my PhD supervisor and actually found I enjoyed talking about other people's research more than my own. Um, and that really kind of started a, a different path for me um, in terms of, you know, I was pretty sure that 
research wasn't really where I was going to go. It's so interesting. Um, and I mean, people might like talking about other people's research, but still like doing their own research. But but you definitely weren't. Yeah, I think I think I can kind of, you know, be fairly honest and say I think I was sort of a fairly average researcher, um, but I wanted to do something that I was kind of really good at. Um, and, you know, I think it played a part that uh, one of our, you know, academics at Durham sort of took us through grant writing process and that didn't seem particularly fun to me. I think during my PhD, I realized I quite like seeing a correlation between hard work and results. Um, and, you know, the more I, I did a couple of stints um, working for technology transfer offices. So that was at firstly Oxford University and then at um, the Medical Research Council. And it's there really that I kind of saw that I wanted to look into more the translation and the commercialization of, of research rather than the day-to-day -day lab work. Um, even though, you know, I, I was and I still really do enjoy, um, you know, scientific research and the science. Mm -hmm. um, so how are you introduced to those two places, you say, um, the, the, the medical research journal? These things don't just come along arbitrarily. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, um, you know, I think luck does play a huge part in 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 it. Um, and in fact, the Oxford University um, job was because my neighbour at the time worked there, and she mentioned she mentioned it and said that she would you know give me the contact details of someone there, um, and it sort of all fell about from there. And then. Once I had that um, sort of under my belt, I it was actually, I think, in the back of um, New Scientist, there was an advert for the Medical Research Council. And I applied and got the job and, um, you know, spent a nice, nice time uh, there. But again, you know, realised that um, it was closer to where I wanted to be, but not quite where I wanted to be. And did you have any any people that you could speak to at this time, any mentors from back in the university days that you could check in with and discuss what you might want to do next? Yeah, it's interesting because the, the eventual route that I went down, um, you know, I, again, it was a bit of luck that I sort of knew about the profession, um, but it was through these sort of chance encounter, well, the initial chance encounter, but actually, you know, at the time, and this is going back a little bit, um, I think it wasn't really a very sort of well-publicized career. Um, the careers, I remember the careers, uh, I, I recently did a talk up at, back in Durham last week, actually, um, to some students. And I said, you know, it seemed like the focus at the time was on management consultancy and accountancy and all those sorts of things, which you know, I think there was quite a big drive for that. And I think the, the career options were, were a bit more limited. But um, luckily, I did get to talk to a few people. And in fact, my PhD supervisor, you know, was always very sort of open and had have had and ha still have a very good relationship with him. And, you know, he was very much sort of open to, to chatting about that and um, wasn't scathing about the fact that I was looking to a career outside of academia which 
you know, I'll be honest, maybe maybe it still is, but when I was a researcher, IP and patents was a bit of a dirty word in the UK. So um yeah, I was I was fortunate again that, that my PhD supervisor was very sort of open and, and and understanding about that. I wonder what it is that that overrode in well for you. You it was IP intellectual property is it was important to you and still is. Um and that was more important than the fact that it was a dirty word. Um, I mean, what do you, why do you think it became a dirty word or was a dirty word then? Um, I think, in, in, you know, a lot of kind of scientific researchers are um, focused on, or at least were in academia, focused on research for, you know, advancing knowledge and that sort of thing, which I think is absolutely admirable. Um, I think the commercialization of research um, definitely uh, was seen as a bit of a um, sort of alternative that that that, that wasn't was less altruistic than the pure academic research. Um, and then you know, IP is um, as we might talk about a, a sort of tool for that commercialization. Um, and so, you know, in sort of old school kind of selling out type vibes it's it feels you know i think at the time it felt like um you know you've got this great scientific background and and you're just going off to to help commercialization of that um but i think i think the attitudes change a lot in the uk in academia you know i do talks um, at various uk universities and you know a lot a lot of the universities realize that we, you know, need to translate this research from, it can't just sit in a journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the translation is in, important and, and the people who do that are important. And, you know, I think the US has always been way ahead of the UK in terms of accepting of that. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm generally pleased that I think the UK research and academics have, have you know, come to realise that commercialization of research is not selling out or a bad thing necessarily almost the opposite means you can get it out there it is I mean I think you know one of the things that uh, I'm I'm always very kind of um, clear about is that uh, you, you know there are some completely blue sky research that has no direct application today tomorrow or in five years that's still absolutely fantastic research and uh, you know actually will will hopefully in 10 20 years become the foundation of what what does and i think ultimately in terms of sort of innovation i'm i'm just you know uh, keen in whatever way that i can to help innovators kind of get get stuff their 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 kind of innovation to the market and helping people and i think that you know is a call back to sort of the the medical doctor's way of of you know ultimately if there's innovation that's helping people and I particularly kind of work in um sustainability areas and, and healthcare um and that's what drives me you know slight sort of purpose driven which is I think what a lot of people these days uh look for um but you know in in the smallest possible way I, you know I like the fact that um you know i'm helping 
in a tiny way to 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 get that you know that drug to market um because i'm you know helping to protect it i, w- I wouldn't call it a tiny way i think it's i think it's quite important um a quite an important contribution you make um so i mean we've we've talked about this before about how we think of researchers as as creatives um so i mean let's talk a little bit about the impact that ip has on innovation and um in the context of getting it to market as you've mentioned already but also in the context of um protecting those creative out- outputs from those researchers yeah i mean i think you know as we've talked about before um you know i very much see intellectual property as protecting creativity and you know i think society tends to sort of view creativity as you know the person doing a painting or the person writing a book or making music and i think of course those are creative pursuits um but i very much sort of see scientific creativity and ideas as as creative as well um and i think you know quite a lot of it is the common theme of you know i remember from my research it starts with an idea that's the creativity and then it's followed by you know enormous amount of hard work and a lot of kind of logical process and 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 diligence um but it still starts with that creativity and that idea in the same way that you know writing a book or making a painting starts with an idea and actually there's quite a lot of hard work that follows that and developing of that um so i very much see kind of a parallel what ip enables the creative person to do is to effectively make sure that or hopefully make sure that someone doesn't essentially piggyback on that creativity um you know one of the benefits of the ip system and we can talk about pros and cons of the ip system and as an ip lawyer you might be surprised that i'm not 100 pro <laughs> the system um but you know one of the benefits of the system is it's not you don't have to do it um you can just publish your work um and put it out there in the public domain and you know that is fine most people i talk to though who are creative whether scientific or artistically do tell me that they would get quite annoyed if someone then started benefiting from their creativity you know if you've got a great idea you do all the hard work to do the research and then someone picks that up and you know makes then makes um money or 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 takes has an advantage out of that most people say yeah i'm not not that keen on on people kind of piggybacking on that um but you know there are plenty of examples you know elon musk um made um a lot of his patents um sort of free to use um he's he's sort of famously anti or and i don't know if he's anti patents but you know he's famously sort of doesn't see much value in patents um and that's reasonable you know it's everyone's choice and ju- just on that just so just for my benefit as much as anything else just run us through the difference quickly between intellectual property patents and copyright 
Yeah, so intellectual property is the broad umbrella term. Um, so for various different rights that you can get. Um, and and roughly they, they do kind of fall into discrete um, categories in what they protect. So copyright would roughly be, you know, um, your artistic works such as books, music, art, um, paintings, sculptures, etc. Um, but actually also extends to some sort of less artistic ventures like um, if you write a manual of, you know, lab, your lab um, code um, can, can fall within copyright. Um, the sort of uh, trademarks typically protect your brand and essentially trademarks are an indicator of origin so that you know as a consumer you can go to a shop and you can buy a certain branded you know biscuit and every time you sort of have this reassurance that this is produced these biscuits are produced by the same people and you can roughly expect there to be similar quality and if they're not of the same quality you can go and tell them that and 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 um, feedback um patents are restricted to kind of scientific concepts um, and they very much kind of protect the con the, the technical concept behind an invention and that can be you know anything from um, really groundbreaking research like CRISPR gene editing to you know much more less groundbreaking work like making a detergent composition five percent foamier um, if it's got a technical kind of benefit and that can be protected by patents um, as long as it's new and not obvious. And so Elon Elon Musk isn't a fan. He he he's he's um, publicly not a fan, um, and I have a lot of respect for him in the sense that um, I think he is a master of um, saying some things in public and maybe thinking you know um, that. Uh, having a different say different strategy in in private but um i don't wish to second guess him i've never met him and uh he's got a lot more money than me so i don't want a defamation suit on my hand i understand um so let's um let's talk a little bit more about um the impact on innovation so we talked about protecting the ideas um but let's think about the whole process so are, are we enhancing the system are we stifling it what's what is it a bit of both Ex explain that for us a little bit yeah i mean it's 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 a debate as old as time really um or at least until um, since ip rights have been around and i think you know there is a very kind of strong um message in from some quarters that that innovation uh, sorry ip um stifles innovation um i'm not suggesting that it doesn't I, I think um I think overall you know I think the system is there for the benefit of of innovation but I think the system has some quite serious flaws I mean the whole point of kind of intellectual property is to grant someone a monopoly um and that is anti-competitive and that's you know against the sort of general market um, economics that I think most most um, economies run to. I think, you know, I come back to the fact, and I am biased because I work with a lot of innovators, 
but it comes back to the fact that you know without adequate way to protect the investment um in that innovation you know without being able to have that reward at the end i do kind of question whether in fact there would be as much innovation as um as there is because you know the extreme end of the of the you know, therapeutic, um, the drugs um, that save people's lives and, you know, the cost of developing and bringing one of those to markets is huge. Now, if you're to say that, you know, those are developed and then suddenly everyone can can also sell them, I, I, I suspect that fewer drugs than, than need are needed come to the market. You're here with me, Harriet Gould, for the Lab Matters podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate us on your favourite podcast platform. But, um, you know, there are other areas. It's um, it, it, That's quite an extreme example. You know, there have been lots of studies, um, and it sort of depends on which side of the fence you sit. But there are lots of studies, uh, you know, that, that IP, in fact, increases innovation and innovation innovative companies tend to do better and get more investment and that sort of thing uh, i've never i have to admit i've never come across a study that i've read that convinces me that uh one way or the other i have to say it's it's a case of um you know i think the system is slightly flawed i think it's too complicated um which means that you've got to have experts like me which is very specialist knowledge, um, and that makes it expensive. On the other hand, it tries to be a system that is one size fits all for all company sizes, uh, ranging from bootstrapping startups to multinationals, all technologies from paper clips to you know gene therapy. Um, uh, and again, you know that's not ideal, but once you start to think of the solutions, you know, you can divide it up more. Ultimately, you make the system more complicated and that adds to the expense. And it's it's difficult because I think, you know, my overall conclusion is that um, the system isn't great, but no one's been able to come up with a better system. Mm-hmm. And I think the system needs to, needs to be there to, to incentivize innovation. Um, you know, what I would say is that, you know, good, good people in IP will always question, is the commercial value of your IP really worth spending the money on it? Um, so, you know, IP can be quite expensive. Um, as I said, that requires specialist kind of knowledge of, um, of the system. And I think, um, to go off on a bit of a tangent, there's, um, you know, you, you know, I talk to people who are scientific researchers and, and say, right, have you actually tried to read a patent, for example? And I say, yeah, it was, it was impenetrable. It was truly terrible. And part, part of what I like to do is I like to sort of say, okay, well, just stick with the examples. But it's that sort of, it, 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 unfortunately, patents tend to have to be written in a certain way in order to convey and have the value that they um, are required to. One of the examples that I give to people is, 
um, there's a video that's kind of doing the rounds on the internet of a of a dad who um, is receiving instructions from his kids on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah. he says, you know, give give tell me how to do it, and they and you know without sort of going through it all essentially what it says is they say they say things like put the peanut butter on the bread and so he takes the jar and he just slams it on the bread without taking the peanut butter out of the thing he says you know that it's like well i did what you said and the kids are getting increasingly frustrated because he's obviously getting in the way of what you know he's they're essentially saying you know what i mean you know what i mean whatever but the story, the reason why I'm telling that story um, is that a lot of kind of patent application language is is like that. You know, it's got to be very precise. It's got to be read all over the world by lots of different kind of, it's translated in all different languages. And, you know, it's got to be clear enough that, that ultimately what it does is it both transmits or, or gives over, you know, the technical meaning of, of the invention but also defines the protection that you have in that patent. Um, so yeah, it's it's hugely specialist. Um, yeah, a bit of a tangent on that, but it's it's one of those things which um, you know, in many ways, I wish the system wasn't as complicated, and I wish there could be a bit of you, you know what I mean factored into the system. But ultimately, you know, it it is what it is. Yeah, it would be a little bit of an easy get around, I suppose, in court if if there were too many, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's the thing. And it's kind of it's just a balance between rewarding the innovator, the person who's come up with the invention, and and the genuine interests of other people and companies who want to know, okay, I can do that or I can't do that. Um, and that's why you need that precision there. But you know, it, it, it does make these documents hugely impenetrable. And I think a lot of researchers get frustrated with that. And I can fully, fully understand that. Yeah, I can too. I, I don't think, mind you, um, that it's that it is necessarily a negative thing, because I, I think it all depends on the person's motivation for the research. For example, if a person is, um, doing the doing what they're doing to make money and it turns out that they can't do it because there's a patent on it then yes they might get frustrated but if they're doing what they're doing because whatever it is that they're researching is to solve a need a societal need then um they probably wouldn't start working on it if there was a solution in the first place so so i think it is probably in the round quite quite a good thing because it, it directs that need and and you know um helps people and you know narrow what motivates them um yeah and i think you know i think different people have different frustrations you know i know that researchers find it frustrating because it might be the protocol that they want to follow is only published in the patent literature and there's not quite as much detail as a research article um yeah i mean it's not a research article i mean quite a lot in fact quite a lot of um sort of researchers in in companies do actually then publish their research after the patent applications have been filed because they're proud of it you know i've, I've worked this year with um uh, someone who's a, a leading expert in Huntington's disease treatments and you know she's enormously you know she's 
publishing lots of lots of her research um, and attending lots of conferences because it's important research. It's you know it's important to protect the company's kind of assets, but at the same time, you know they're given a lot of the time they're given the freedom to also publish the research in in peer-reviewed journals, which is obviously important for for research anyway. And so now you've been doing this for about 20 years now. Is that right? Yeah. Um, What I know you can't talk about things that are on the boil at the moment because they're secret, top secret stuff. Uh, But um, what, what are some of the things that have come to market that you've been able to see right the way through from that point of patent? Some of the things, your favorites um yeah it's a good question i think um um i think i've, I've worked on a, a lot of things which is great and it's part of why i like the job um i i'm trying to think of some of the favorite things um i, I mean i think the sort of stuff that happened has happened recently is some of actually my favorite stuff so i currently work on kind of the interface between chemistry and biology, you know, the squidgier stuff, as I say, of my of my chemistry degree. Um, and it typically tends to be therapeutics. Um, so I've worked with, um, as I said, someone on Huntington's disease treatments, um, you know, and I think it, again, the theme of, of wanting to be a medical doctor when I was younger comes through because Huntington's disease is a, is a really debilitating and, and, ultimately um fatal disease and there's currently no no um treatment and so you know seeing that go you know i wasn't involved in the early early stage with the inventors but in the latter stage and um you know that's always exciting to to see things go through the clinic um i have been involved in um Again, not not at the beginning, but uh, in uh, some gene editing therapies. Um, in fact, the first um, CRISPR edited approved therapy, which was a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm working on at the moment or, or involved in, which is hugely exciting. Um, but I've done all sorts. You know, I think um, as as in early in my career, I worked on some more kind of mechanical stuff. There was a, an invention that was sort of a type of sock that helped people with uh, foot drop which is an uh, affliction of the foot um, and I wasn't involved directly but um, a colleague of mine was involved in the um, speedo swimsuits that were in the Beijing Olympics 2008 Olympics you know the shark skin suits and I think it's sort of that um, you know working on technology that's cutting edge and you know there's there's a fair amount of stuff that you can't really you know people down the bar can't really relate to you know when I when I talk to some of my friends about um you know this and that therapy they, their eyes glaze over um but there's stuff that that's um you know a bit more a bit more appropriate a bit more sort of real world um I mean I remember there was some trademark work where um people uh, from from my colleagues were sent to various bars to ask for martini and to see if they got the cocktail or the branded martini um and so you know there's sort of some some fun stuff to what um, is it? 
I can't off the top of my head remember. Um, I mean, I think it was a mixture, but I think it's it's that sort of thing of, um, yeah, definitely the, some of the trademark work is a lot more real world. Um, but yeah, um, you know, and then and then there's things like um, Future Foods, which I have a particular kind of personal interest in, which, um, yeah, means that, you know, the the future of kind of um, sustainability and all those sorts of themes, which which again help, you know, not just um, do the job, but actually feel like, as again, I I know you very kindly said tiny way, not a tiny way, but but really, you know, the researchers do the main work and the companies who develop do the main work. I I have a small part, but it is nice to to do that because, um, you know the job is you could look at the job as um and i have sometimes described it as a professional letter writer that's that's you know in reality i sit down and i write letters mm. um but it goes beyond that because it's more you know uh, this is how i explain the profession to people who want to come into it i you know at a simplistic level i work out what these innovators are doing that's clever and then I write a document that says how clever it is. And then I try and convince a patent office why it's clever. Um, and there's an element of storytelling in that. And there's an element of, um, you know, seeing beyond just the science and, and, and going at it at a much more conceptual and um, interesting level. So, yeah, it's a hugely rewarding kind of job. Um but you know, ultimately, I write letters. But the good thing is about it that you you understand the you understand everything from the science side of things. You're completely scientifically literate. Um, do you think that's really really important, or could you do you think someone could come to it just, with just the law side of things? Yeah, I mean, the 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 job that I do, you have to have a scientific background, um, and you have to understand the science behind it, really. And that kind of comes to what I said about, you know, understanding why something is clever, not just what they've done. Um, and in particular, the sort of requirement of patentability of, of showing that something is inventive. So generally in patenting, you've got to show that it's new because you're not allowed to reinvent the wheel. And it's got to be inventive because you know, uh, granting a monopoly on something that's trivial, um, a trivial improvement just isn't good for third party rights. Um, and it's really that sort of inventiveness where you get to use the technological, you know, your scientific background. And to be honest, it's where I, you know, love, love it because, um, you know, I've sort of alluded to the fact that, you know, my research career was fine but not glittering but you know the people come to me with 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 the results um and i get to sort of vicariously bask in their glory um without having to bang my head against the wall for months on end um and so you know that's that's a good good part of the the job in the sense that um i can enjoy that but also I get to delve into that technical side of it and I get to understand it at a, you know, quite serious 
serious level um especially kind of if i'm having to do more contentious elements of the work mm -hmm. i can imagine you get a few of those especially in the medical sector yeah and it's where i sort of focus on um these days in my career um and uh, uh mostly defending defending people's rights but um yeah it's a very niche part a very niche business yeah so if if i were um if i were a researcher and i was looking for an ip advisor what what would you tell me to do how would i um I think on the whole, in the UK at least, a lot of the IPU advisors are really good on their science. Um, you know, there is a requirement that you have a good science degree. Um, and I think a lot of them are very scientifically knowledgeable. Um, I think, you know, definitely ask them for experience of similar, you know, work that they've done in technical areas. Um, I, I actually think, though, that the best, the most important thing is more a human thing. Um, I definitely advocate working with someone that you get on with. Um, and, you know, the process of patenting isn't, it's quite time consuming. Um, it's heavy, resource heavy. I think, you know, life is too short to, to work with people that you don't, you know, that it's a chore to work with. Um, and I've been extremely lucky that I've found quite a lot of clients who I get on with. Um, and, you know, I used to beat myself up or at least think, well, you know, there's all this work that I'm capable of doing. So I should be doing all this, you know, working with all these different people. But ultimately, I've come to the conclusion that um, I shouldn't be working with, with some people because we're not a right fit in the sense of of that kind of personal touch and i you know i put a lot of value on 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 relationship building with clients and getting to know them and finding out their business needs and you know that thankfully has developed into some really great client relationships and you know still work but it, it's nicer to to work with people that you get on well with um so i think if you're looking for an advisor have a call with them uh with very you know not just one but lots of different advisors and find what feels right for you um i think you know most people can sort of work out in half an hour call-ish whether this person's going to be the right person to work with or not um and i think that's that's an important thing because you know, quite a lot of IP advisors are, are good on the technical side. Um, and so, you know, the difference is, um, does their style suit you? I'm very hands-on. I like to become an extension of their team, in a sense, um, not just an external advisor. Um, but some people don't want that. Some people want to tell their advisor, this is what I want you to do. Don't ask awkward, difficult questions. Just get on with it that's not me um and so if that's you know if you're looking for someone hands-on then you'll find a subset of ip advisors who do that if you're looking for someone who's just going to go and do what they're told then you'll find a subset of advisors like that um so yeah i i personally feel like that the human touch is is the most important thing um but you know 
talk to them about the science as well, see how, how much they're into it as well. I think that's really good advice, Joe. Um, and thank you very much for joining us today. Um, it's been it's been a real pleasure to hear about it from your perspective. And um, I'll see if I can identify any innovation that might have come through you first in the future. Thanks, Harriet. It's been an absolute pleasure.